Six days before the Passover, Jesus went to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from death. They prepared a dinner for him there, which Martha helped serve. Lazarus was one of those who were sitting at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a whole pint of a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, poured it on Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The sweet smell of the perfume filled the whole house. One of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, the one who was going to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold? For 300 silver coins. The money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would help himself from it. Leave her alone. Let her keep what she has for the day of my burial. You will always have poor people with you. But you will not always have me. A large number of people heard that Jesus was in Bethany. So they went there, not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from death. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus too, because on his account many Jews were rejecting them and believing in Jesus. Today's story was recorded in two other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, and so from the three viewpoints we get a fuller picture. You know, if there was going to be an accident out here on 377 today, let's say um, three people witnessed it and they were asked to give a description, one person may say, man, the black car drove out in front of the gray truck. Another person may say, the silver truck hit the black Ford. Another person may say, man, that Dodge Ram tore up that Ford. (laughs) Different perspectives and different views of the story. The story happened in Bethany. John 12 says that it happened six days before Passover. Matthew 26 and Mark 14 say that it happened two days before Passover. What's the discrepancy? Well, it's easy to understand if you understand Passover is a feast day, but it's also a festival week. So two days before the festivities began, this event happened, but six days before the actual day of Passover, when Christ was going to be taken to the cross. So that makes sense? It did not happen at the house of Martha and Mary, according to Matthew and Mark, it happened in Bethany, their town, at the house of Simon the leper. Now, in the Bible, you've got to get your Mary straight. There's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the sister of Martha. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary, the mother of a couple of the disciples. And there's also some Simons. There's Simon that Jesus surnamed Peter. 
There's Simon in this story, the leper who had been healed. He was no longer a leper. He was allowed to be in public and allowed to be in his house. It was an honor for him to serve Jesus. There's a similar story. This event happened earlier. Also, another woman came in and poured perfume on Jesus' feet. And it happened in the Galilean region, not in Bethany, at the house of Simon the Pharisee. And so uh, we got to keep our name straight. Just just like in our day, there's, this church has several Debbies, and, and we're getting uh, four or five Allens now. So there's several Judases in the Bible, but nobody wants to name their kids Judas anymore. Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot's dad was named Simon. A little trivia information there. In this story... In John's rendition, we see Mary pouring oil, very expensive oil, on the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. In Matthew's version and Mark's version, it says she poured the oil on his head. So if you draw a composite picture from these three witnesses, uh, Peter helped Mark write his book. These three witnesses, Jesus has that stuff all over him. It's on his head, it's running down his beard, running down his clothes, and it's certainly on his feet. And there's Mary expressing love and devotion to him, wiping his feet, which may have been dirty feet, with her hair. What an act of humility and expression of love and devotion to Jesus. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the topic, Jesus is worthy. Can we say that? This is seen as an extreme thing, but I want you to know that Jesus is worthy of extreme devotion. And he's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our gratitude. He's worthy of our songs and our service, our walk and our talk. Jesus is worthy. Can we say that again? Now, extreme devotion is not unknown to our culture. Here's some people that are extremely devoted to the Super Bowl that they went to. I did a wedding for some people up at north side of Fort Worth who were all-star wrestling fans. You know, the fake stuff. Their family was all about that, and they're part of that subculture, and their vacations are wrapped around that. Their toys are wrapped around that. They spend enough in a lifetime probably to buy a house. They're devoted. They're fanatics about what they do. It's not just... Expense people go through. People go through pain for the things that they are committed to. This happened last week. I understand them playing because they, you know, they want to win a championship, so they're committed, going through the pain. But it's the people sitting in the stands that amaze me. Well, I paid thirty dollars for these tickets. Keep your thirty dollars. I'm going to the house. So extreme devotion, high levels of commitment is not bizarre. It is normal. And if someone has done something wonderful for you, it's normal. It's appropriate to return thanks. It's lining yourself up with reality. And to express love and devotion and worship to Jesus is not just something that he wants because he's selfish, But he wants attention from us. He created us for his glory. He created us to experience him. He created us to commune with him and communicate with us. But it also lines us up with reality. He is worthy because of what he's done for us. So Jesus is worthy. Can we say that? Costly oil was poured on Christ's body. Can we say costly? This oil was expensive. 
it was worth 300 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. It was a year's salary. Take away 52 Sabbaths, you get 313 days. Take away 13 days for hunting or fishing or a vacation or just you're tired or sick or maybe you went to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. It's a year's wages. It's enough to buy a house. This is a huge expense. Maybe she received it as an inheritance. Maybe it was a result of her life savings thus far. Maybe it was her way of preparing for her retirement. I don't know. John 12, 3 records it, the pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now we know that a pound is 16 ounces, but a Roman pound was somewhere around 12 ounces. And so this was the equivalent of a can of Coke, at least. This was a lot of expensive perfume. And spikenard is so strong that when it hits the air, you don't smell nothing else. It's not popular in our culture. It's rare. Matthew 26 and Mark 14 records it that Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Here is where spikenard comes from. It comes from the root of this plant of the Valerian family in the Himalayan mountains of India, China, and Nepal. During the days of camel caravans, this oil, no wonder it cost so much, had traveled a great journey. This was some rare stuff. It could be used as a spice in your food, and it could be used to honor those who had died, who were going to be buried. It could be used sparingly and last for a long time, for years. And this is a trivial point, but cats seem to like it. Costly oil was poured on Christ's body. Priceless life would pour from Christ's body. She poured her costly oil on his body, his feet and his head, and wiped his feet with her hair. And he, six days later, would begin to pour his priceless life from his body. So he was worthy of this kind of treatment, this kind of honor, because of what he was about to do. John 12, 7 says, Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Now, Judas was upset about it. He was Jesus' treasurer. Yes, Jesus had a thief, an embezzler for a treasurer who helped himself to the funds. This was a year's wages. She could have given this to us. We could have sold it, and we could have helped the poor. He didn't care nothing about the poor. He wanted to line his pockets. Matthew 26 says, Jesus said, for pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Mark 14, verse 8 says, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Now keep in mind, this is three different witnesses relating what they remember. The point is, this was something she had set aside for his burial. How did she know about his burial? How did she know? Well, we see her sitting at his feet three different occasions in the Gospels. There's the time Mary and Martha had Jesus over for lunch, and Martha's working hard in the kitchen, and Mary's doing what? Sitting at his feet. Martha's upset. Jesus, tell my lazy sister to come help me. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things. 
Mary's chosen the best thing. So she had some insights. When he came to raise Lazarus from the dead, before he raised him from the dead, Mary ran out to him and fell at his feet. And here again, she's at his feet. During her times with him, he was their friend. He was he visited their house numerous times. I am sure he communicated to her the things he communicated to the disciples, and she got it. Meanwhile, they didn't. Things like destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. She knew what that meant. A little while later in this chapter, he's going to say, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Talking about the death by which he would die. So here's one person in the, in the room who had a grasp of what he was about to go through. She had a clue. And so she was motivated to give him honor before he died. In the 60s, there's a Southern Gospel song. Why don't you give me them flowers while I'm living? Why don't you bless me while I can enjoy them while I can? It's a song about blessing people while they're alive. How many memorial services have you been to where you've heard people say very kind things about the person that's deceased and you wonder, did they get to tell him that when he was alive? I mean, this is a sidebar. This isn't the point of the sermon. But the people you love and care for need to know it. Need to know how grateful that you are for them. Well, I told her I loved her the day I married her. If I change my mind, I'll let her know. So here she was expressing love to the one who, when he would die, would break the hearts of everyone in the room, including Judas. His heart got so broken he went and killed himself. But this event did a number on Judas. According to Matthew and according to Mark, at the end of this story, he leaves the room and goes and makes a deal with the priests. For 30 pieces of silver, going to betray him. He steamed about the 300 denarii. So I don't know, maybe this pushed him over the edge. Who knows? Point is, God's will was done. And Jesus is worthy. All right, costly oil was poured on Christ's body. Priceless life would pour from his body. Receiving his life places us in his body. Ephesians 5.30 says, We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Tell your neighbor, hello, Jesus. We are his hands and his feet. We're not the head. We're just part of his body. We're the community of believers that are here to express A body is the instrument of expressing life. When your body dies, your life ceases to be expressed. The body is an instrument for expressing life. And we are on the earth to express the life of Jesus. He's the head, we're the arms, the feet, the fingers, the toes. The body to serve his purposes. 1 Corinthians 12 says it like this. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. So costly oil was poured on Christ's body. Priceless life would pour from his body, receiving his life, the benefits of his life, faith in what the blood paid for us, places us in his body, and giving to the poor flows through his body. Now, some would think these verses downplay ministering to the poor. The poor you have with you always, he said. Mark 14, 70, Mark remembers that he added this statement, whenever you wish, you may do them good. 
So ministering to the poor is important. In Matthew 25, he talks about Judgment Day when the king will answer, Verily, as I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Meaning you fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, housed unto the homeless, you visited the sick, you visited those in prison. Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me. He takes it personal as to how we treat the poor. So ministering to the poor is important, right? Pouring love on the poor is important. He's saying, me, you do not have with you always. And he's establishing what I believe is a priority. And that is the priority of worship. There's needs in the world. And we're to do something about those needs. And I think part of the reason he said the poor you have with you always means to we, we don't need to be far removed from hurting people. They need to be near us doesn't mean you're always going to be poor, but we need to be always near the poor, not looking down our noses at them, but serving them in whatever ways we can, especially those that are widows, orphans, and disaster victims. Right? But the priority is worship comes first. Yeah, we're going to take care of the poor, Judas. This is more important than that. What happens when we worship is we get filled with the Spirit. We get encouraged We are renewed in our spirit. We're reminded of how much he loves us. As we magnify his awesomeness, he reveals to us our blessedness. And this inspires us to do something for somebody else. We don't come just to get fired up to go home and live self-centered lives. You do that, your fire is going to go out pretty quick. Some people do that. They go to a conference or a camp or whatever and get all fired up, and then they lose that fire because they don't take that next step in doing something with it. And so worship is important. It's the fountain from which we drink so that we can go do something for somebody else. Final point, gratitude is important for Jesus and us. He has feelings. The Bible says he is touched easily with the feelings of our infirmities. We have not a high priest, Hebrews says, that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He is sympathetic to us. He is compassionate. He knows what it feels like to be human. He knows what it feels like to be abandoned and betrayed. He knows what it feels like to be slandered. He knows what it feels like to be slapped. He knows what it feels like to have to just suck up injustice. Let it happen. But his feelings have to also include the ability to be hurt. The Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. So if you do something great for somebody and you don't get any gratitude back, what does that do? It it's kind of stinks. It hurts. And so gratitude, I think, is important for Jesus. He's God who became human. He's us. He's one of us. He's resurrected. Obviously, he's not going to fall apart. But if we care about him, we will line ourselves up with reality and minister gratitude and love to him in ways that are only ways that we can do. We're the redeemed. We're the ones not only 
that fell, but we're the ones that he's restoring back to his original purpose. We've got a reason to praise him. We've got a reason to give him glory and honor. There's content to our praise when we say glory to the Lamb. Jesus honored this woman and said, Matthew 26 and Mark 14, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. This is something to be remembered because it's important to him. Here's a woman who had a grasp of what he was about to do. Maybe the only person on the planet that knew. His own mama didn't understand. Her story is being told all around the world. Who knows, probably hundreds of places are preaching this story today. Our own resident artist, Kathy Quest, painted a painting of this experience. And she wrote a poem to go with this painting. She wrote, Mary knelt before the Lord that day. Her heart was in her tears. She wiped his feet with her precious oil, giving her heart away. This was more than just oil and perfume and an expense. This was her heart being expressed of love to him. His forgiveness froze freely, even to this day. He sees our every flaw. All he asks of us is that our need will gratefully bow. This story isn't the first time that this kind of thing happened to Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is in the Galilean region. He's not in the Judean region where Bethany is. He's in a completely different region. It's earlier in his ministry. It's not the day before Palm Sunday, which is when this happened. It talks about a woman in the city who was a sinner, knew that Jesus sat at the table in a Pharisee's house. The Pharisee was named Simon. And she comes in this house and brings in an alabaster flask of oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. So it was customary in that day sometimes to to feast by laying down, kind of on a couch or a chase lounge or a mattress or pad of some sort. And you didn't have your feet by the table. Your feet was away from the table. Your feet could get dirty and nasty in that culture, horse-drawn transportation without poopy bags. Streets could get nasty, and so you would keep your feet away from the table, and oftentimes a guest of honor, his feet would be washed by the house servant. Well, in this case, Jesus' feet weren't washed. And this woman comes in, stands behind him with this flask of oil, and she's crying. And she begins to wash his feet with her tears. So she's kneeling at his feet, and she wipes them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So she washes his dirty feet with her tears and then anoints his feet with this fragrant oil. And the Pharisee was indignant and thought within himself, if this man was really a prophet, he'd know that this is a nasty woman touching him. He wouldn't let this happen. Verse 40 of Luke 7, Jesus answers his thoughts and says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's worth 500 days' wages. And the other, 50 50 days' wages. So one debt is 10 times more than the other debt. And when they had nothing with which to repay, the creditor forgave them both. 
Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. What, a, what another story. She was grateful because of his forgiveness. And so it is in our lives. Those who have been redeemed from a whole lot of stuff, man, they really love the Lord. And those not so much, they can kind of be reserved in their love for the Lord. But I want to suggest to you that salvation is a a two-part thing. There's being saved out of something and being saved from something. There's redemption and prevention. We all should be grateful. Grateful that I've been forgiven of great sin. Grateful that I don't have scars from great sin. We all have a reason to praise Him. Those of us who've been saved out of sin's crap and those of us who've been saved from a lot of sin's crap. The Bible doesn't use so polite a language. King James says dung. I want to say it, but I won't. A whole lot of mess. And makes our lives a message. So don't think you don't have a testimony. And don't be ashamed of your testimony. There is a God and He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. To give His life for you. To redeem you from wherever you are in life. To keep you from going deeper. Good stuff. He's good. I want to end the service by singing a song. Holy, holy, holy. And just offer some gratitude to Him. My prayer is that this Christmas season would be our most thankful one ever. That it's not about our gifts, but it's about the gift. Did you catch that? Not about our gifts, the lack thereof or abundance thereof. It's about the gift. The gift of righteousness and forgiveness. He forgave me a debt he didn't owe. A debt I couldn't pay. My books were in the red. Now they're in the black. Not only did He forgive me of my sin, but He's given me His righteousness. I was indebted. Now I'm accredited with His righteousness. He's got a reason to praise Him.
Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for redemption. We thank you for what you saved us out of and for what you saved us from. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do and what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to you, Lord. We call on your name. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Lord. We've come to worship you and praise you. revelation of all that you have to be grateful. 